going to do several things this morning. We're going to do some of it with multimedia. Uh, but I want to talk to you uh, from the book of Colossians today about the power of the church and specifically the power of prayer. But I have a guest with me, not a guest, part of our family in Buffalo. Uh, Dr. Leland Jones is with us, who probably is the leading psychiatrist in the city of Buffalo. I don't think I need psychiatry, but anyway, I bring him with me some, sometimes. <laughs> and he and his wife are with us today. They're very special friends of Wanda and myself. And uh, he wrote a book. And uh, as you remember, I wrote a book a, a few years ago talked about the power of dreams and living out of a dream. Then I picked up his book on wholeness, and, uh, and in that he devotes about a third of the book to this whole subject, that if you don't know the purpose of your life and the dream of your life, you can't be whole. So Dr. Jones, come on up. I want, you, I want them to meet you today. And I know it's, it's good to have you with us. Uh, good to be here. <laughs> This man is not only, uh, he was the head of the psychiatric ward of one of our hospitals here in Buffalo, and, uh, but more than that, he's a great believer. And if you remember this history of you being one of the great athletes of our city, you and your dad both were athletes in, Bu in Buffalo, weren't you? The Hall of Fame at UB. Yeah. So yes. let's give him congratulations, Dr. Leland Jones. Uh, I know you've got a copy of the book with you. You've got a copy there? And, you know, I'm sold out, Bishop. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sold out. Okay. Let's order some more. Okay. You're really, uh, really blessed. And as you know, this is Benny Hinn's pastor <laughs> and Pastor Don, Paul Youngie Cho, the yeah. largest church in the world. Uh, this is uh, his pastor, and uh, we're so blessed to have him in Western New York. Actually, this church is closer in the tabernacle <laughs> to my house <laughs> and I've heard of this church and I have, I have some uh, I've heard of your church and the anointing is so powerful you just you get healed just soaking in the yeah. anointing here right here yeah. and, and the choir I was I keep looking for the choir and it's like where are all these people I hear all these people and I see one person or two people up here I'm like oh my god this is that's an awesome, awesome power here. Yeah. So I, you know, I've heard of this church, and I know there's some people that come to this church, Bishop, and yeah. I appreciate uh, just being an armor bearer here for yeah. you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this idea that, that you, you shared in your book, uh, that unless you really know your purpose and your destiny in life and what you're born for, you can't be whole. Is that true? Yes, I, I don't believe that you can. Um, if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to know when you get there. You're not going to know, you know, if you like, if you don't have a map, you're lost. Yeah. And so, you know, we want to, the, the, you know, what the Lord has really imparted upon me is is uh, is, is healing. And, and I've used inner healing that we talked about today. I, I didn't know about this particular one, but we've used inner healing for years, and it's been such a frustration to get this idea of healing the whole person. Yeah. Uh, you know, healing is physical healing is great, mental healing and emotional healing, but it's like. I was a family physician, and the Lord called me out of that to go into uh, psychiatry. And um, so I was wonder why I would leave psychiatry. I would leave medicine to go into psychiatry. So now I begin to understand, okay, this, I want you to understand these different areas. So to put all this together is not something that is, is, is natural for us. Even though Christ has already paid the price, he said it, it is finished. But we, we, we tend to latch on to a, a few pieces yeah. of that finished. 
And so until we soar, have a sort of a picture of where, where, where we're going into Christ's likeness, we, we can get distracted and diverted in so many different ways and not really realize that he has so much, there's much, so much more resources he has for us. Uh, the first part of the service this morning, uh, I guess you've never been here before, but you no. heard about their... Actually, their well, actually, we have been here 42 years ago. <laughs> we had our honeymoon here in Fort Erie. <laughs> <laughs> so we have been 40 years, but we're back again. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, but when you heard them talk about the, the retreat and the inner healing that you saw taking place here, isn't that the real purpose of the church? Yes, yes, to heal the whole person. Yeah. We're, you know, we're going to see so many broken people. So, you know, the life of seeing so many young people. We're going to see so many broken people coming from all over to the church because the world doesn't have the answers. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a psychiatrist. I treat people with medication and all those nice things, but uh, i got a secret. They don't get healed. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get healed. And so the more dark it gets, the brighter it's the easier it's going to be see, to see the light. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for coming this morning. Let's give Dr. Jones a big hand. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to turn with me for a few moments to the book of Colossians, and I want to read to you a few verses. Here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, when God began to speak to me the truths that we're going to share with you today, uh, when I was an evangelist, I used to carry with me a lot of props. We used to do illustrated sermons. And uh, now we have the power of video. And we have some great producers in our church right now. And so I said to them, I'd like to take these truths and put them into video. And I want to share with you two truths this morning, just two simple truths. Number one, the power of the church. And the power of the church is defined in the book of Colossians. Uh, recently, a professor friend of mine uh, who was dealing with doctoral candidates uh, called his uh, doctoral candidates together and divided them into two groups. To one group, he said, if you didn't have all the Bible as we have it today, but you had the book of Philippians and you had all the Old Testament, the book of Philippians, and you had the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and maybe the book of Acts, and that's all you had. And you looked at the book of Philippians, and you saw the church, what kind of a church would it be? People that had that book said, well, it would be a church that built a building and had pews and, and had a counterculture inside of their building and would probably let the world go to hell around it. And then he gave the other group the book of Colossians. He said, if you had only the book of Colossians, and you build a church after the book of Colossians, what would it look like? That group said unanimously it would be a church that was placed in the world and changed the world and, and demonstrated the power of God and had power over all the things in the world and literally revolutionized the planet. Well, what did Paul say in the book of Colossians? And uh, we're going to show you this in video in a moment. And then after we do that, we're going to talk about the power of our prayer life. But listen to this. Uh, let's go down to the 12th verse of the first chapter. Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us 
to be the partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us, where? Into the kingdom of his dear son. Then he talks about the power of the Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him everything was created, everything in heaven, in earth, the visible and the invisible. He created all of that. He also created thrones, dominions, principalities and powers, even the government he created. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things or over all of that. And with him all things are held together. He's over matter. He's over government. He's over business. No wonder the, the people that had this book of Colossians says he is over all things, everything in the universe, including everything in Canada, including your provincial government, including your national government, whether it's liberal or, or whether it's conservative, he's over that. And then in verse 19 it said, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of the Father should dwell in Christ. And then he would reconcile all things by himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross, or purchased back all the rebellious parts of the universe, things in earth and things in heaven. In other words, when he shed his blood, he didn't shed it just for you and just for me. He shed his blood to reconcile everything in the world, including, as Dr. Jones says, all the sicknesses, all the diseases, all the problems, everything that is rebelling against God was purchased by the blood of the cross. That's the power of the church. And then skipping on the 26th verse, even the mystery, the mystery of God, that's been hidden from past ages, all generations, and now, today, 2017, now is revealed to his saints. God would make known what is the glorious riches of this mystery among the nations. And what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. He's over all things, and then he has come to dwell in you, and what does that mean? That means that you are also over th all things, the church. Uh, and then I love verse 9 of the, sec uh, of the second chapter. For in him lives all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that was in God the Father is in God the Son. And you, turn to the person beside it, and you are complete in him, everything that is in him is in you, who is the head of all authority and all power. And I said to our, our television producers, Alan and Sherry Light, uh, who were also produced for the Sabres and the Bills, uh, I said to them, I want you to take that scripture, and my idea is, what kind of visualization can we have the power of the book of Colossians? Let's roll that video. Today we celebrate a church that is defined as more than conquerors. The Apostle Paul describes this conquering church in the book of Galatians concerning the head of the church, Jesus Christ. 
He is over all things. Indeed, he is over all things. He created all things, both visible and invisible, including thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. He is before all things, and he is in all things. He must have the preeminence, and he has reconciled all things through the blood of the cross. Christ, the ultimate conqueror within us. The Apostle Paul then announces to the world that there is a people, a people called the church. Within the people, a mystery. A mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Indeed, the power and authority that is in Jesus Christ is also now in us, the church. A church that is more than a conqueror. We totally triumph over all principalities and powers. How big is the power that is in Christ? that is in us. Paul states that he disarmed all principalities and powers and made of them a public spectacle. He triumphed over every power in the universe, having consummated his victory on the cross. This is the truth about the church. Christ won over every governmental force in the universe, an ultimate victory. Christ redeemed everything in heaven and in earth by his blood. This is the victorious Christ who came to live in us. That is the mystery that Paul reveals to us. Because Christ lives in us, the very Christ that rules over every principality and power, there's nothing in the universe that can defeat us, the church. Yes, we are more than conquerors. Now every principality in the universe has been defeated by the blood of the cross. And so tonight, we want you to see this triumphant church. Colossians 4.17 says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. Take heed. Listen to the voice of what you have received, the voice of the very one who dwells within you. Hear the voice of the living conqueror inside of you. Jesus, the living conqueror, speaks from inside of you. Indeed, we can do all things through Christ Jesus. Listen to the voice of Jesus inside of you. You are more than a conqueror. I want you to take a moment to hear those last words. There's a voice inside of you that's been drowned out by the voices in the world around you that you are more than a conqueror through Christ because there's so many voices around you other than that one. When you read this book of Colossians and you see all this one of the, let's, let's just, uh, I guess I want to repeat it again and again. So let me go over that a moment. The victorious church. What does the victorious church look like? Let's give me some of those slides, if you will. I think we've got some PowerPoint here. The victorious church of the 21st century. What does it look like? Give me the next slides. Listen to these words. All things in heaven and in earth, thrones, dominions, Prince of the second slide, if we could have that. There it is. Everything that was created on the earth, the visible, the invisible, the thrones, the dominions, the principalities, the powers, everything was created through him and for him. Everything holds together by the world of his power. In other words, he is over everything. Give me the next slide. Then it says this. In him, all the fullness of the Father should dwell. And that he should reconcile all things through the power of the blood of the cross. I said that earlier, but let me say it again. Let's look at that for a moment. Everything 
in your life, everything in my life, everything in this community, everything in our world, sicknesses, everything that is against us was purchased back by the blood of the cross. Now, some theologians believe this. They believe that when the scripture talks about the first rebellion, which is a rebellion to Lucifer, the Bible says that he took with him a third of the angels. Now, many, many philosophers and many theologians believe that those were the angels that were ruling over a third of the universal creation. He took with him all of the leaders of a third of the visible universe because that scripture talks about he created everything. So a third of the universe rebelled against God and that he set up his headquarters city on a planet called the earth. From this planet, Satan began to rule the universe. And so Jesus came to the earth and there he paid the purchase price of his blood to buy back everything. That's why the scripture says that when he shed his blood, he didn't shed it just for us as people. He did shed it for us to purchase our sin, but he bought back, he purchased back the entire universe and everything. That's the power of the church. Everything has been purchased back by the blood of the cross. Let's look a little further into this. Give me the next slide, if you will. Listen to this. Christ rules over everything. Here's the mystery. We talked about it twice already. The mystery is hidden from past ages. Every generation, nobody's ever saw this until Jesus came. And the church began to see it. It's been blotted out that Christ in you as he was in, God was in Christ and Christ is in us. That means we are above everything in the world. This is the next slide. Christ in the church rules over everything. God would make known what is the glorious mystery among the nations. Christ in you, those, that's the mystery that's had rendered. If we could recognize the, what I'm trying to say to you, if you could recognize the power of the church, then look at this one. Next slide. As God rules through Christ, Christ rules through us. We are complete in him. Everything that was in Christ is in us. If we could, did you, somehow I, I can't even express this in words. Do you recognize the power that's in you, that's in this church, that's in Victory Christian Center, the power that sits in these pews, the power that's in these people, the power that's in this worship team, the power that's in this woman that paints, the power that is in us. We are completed in everything that was in Christ, and that's the Father, now has come to dwell within us. We are complete in him. Go to the next slide. In order to show us how complete that was, the Bible says this, having disarmed authorities and power, he made a show of them openly. This was cosmic theater. It was so powerful that in front of every angel, in front of every demon, in front of Lucifer himself, there on the cross as he poured out his blood, he literally disarmed in this drama, this cosmic drama of the ages, he literally said, I am victor over everything. And then go to the next slide. We've said this already. Listen to the voice that's inside of you. 
because all of the voices in the universe we're going to talk about, how do we pray this out? If we listen to all the voices around us, uh, Dr. Jones said a few moments ago, you can take all the medication, but you won't be healed. Because that's not the answer. What is the answer to our problems? Our answer to the problems of our culture, our society, our nation, our world, the problems in the Middle East, whatever the problems are in our world, those were bought back by the blood of the cross. Jesus redeemed everything in heaven and earth by the blood of the cross. And then he came to live inside of us as God the Father lived in him. He has come to live inside of us and we are what? More than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, I, I, I thought about all that and I thought that many years ago, God led me to pray a prayer for our city. And I want you to see prayer as the answer to everything on the planet. All of your problems, all the problems of your community, all the problems, prayer is the answer to all of that. And God asked me to pray a prayer for our city over 40 years ago. And I asked our video people, would you put that together for me and show, now I'm not saying that Buffalo's been healed, that we've got all kinds of crime, we've got all kinds of things still going on in Buffalo. But did you know that today there's $19.5 billion worth of construction in the city that 10 years ago was dying. It had lost over half its population. It has gone from a population of 585,000 to a population of 235,000. It was a dying city. And I said, this is an example of answered prayer. Thousands of people used to, uh, there was a, a little Baptist church over in the east side of Buffalo, African-American church. And uh, some of you may have been in those prayer meetings. 500 or more people gathered every morning for about two and a half years at five o'clock in the morning to pray for that city. God has answered the prayers of people across Buffalo in changing a city. Roll the video and let's see it. Buffalo, New York, the city of lights, the birthplace of electricity, the birthplace of dreamers. At the turn of the century, Buffalo was a world-class city, truly one of the greatest cities in America. The first to be fully lit using electricity as put on display during the great Pan-American Exposition in the early 1900s. Buffalo was truly a shining light to the rest of the world. A mecca for manufacturing, a pioneer in both the automobile and aviation industries, she was the grain capital of America, with 90% of the nation's grain flowing through its harbor in innovative grain elevators. During the Roaring Twenties, Buffalo became one of the largest centers for the manufacturing and processing of steel. The Bethlehem Steel Plant was the second largest steel mill in America, employing over 20,000 people. Buffalo was truly a city of innovation, a model city for America. But after World War II, something happened. By 1950, Buffalo began to lose its industry. The grain industry, gone. The automobile and airplane manufacturers had moved on to other cities, and with them, the people. Half of the population of the city had now gone, including our youth. This once great city was no more. The dream had died, and by the mid-1970s, with the steel plant on the verge of closing, the fleeing population had but one message for the city's new mayor. With the last worker leaving, please turn out the lights. 
the city of lights had now gone dark. But in the midst of that darkness, God spoke and a spark ignited. I remember driving by the steel plant. I was aching for the death of a city. And as I watched that steel plant closing, as I drove across the Father Baker Bridge, God said to me, and I never will forget it because I didn't think the church had anything to do with reviving a city. I heard the Lord say to me from inside my spirit, do you have enough faith to say the dry bones of this city rise and walk again? Awaken something within me that the next 20 years I began to pray the prayer. God, I command the bones of the city to rise and walk again. It gave me a dream to see the city revived. Will these dry bones indeed rise and walk again? As those words of faith were spoken and lifted again and again in prayer, they were heard by God and by the people. Dreamers began to return, the bones began to come together, and light would again begin to rise from the ashes of this once great city. Churches would begin to unite, and for years, hundreds of believers from every section of Buffalo gathered in the heart of the city to pray every morning for the revival of our city. The dreams and the dreamers began to multiply and to gain traction. And God brought a word to one local pastor that he would disciple and win the leaders of Buffalo to help rebuild this great city. Went home that night, don't think that I recognized the depth of that word. But a couple of months after that, came into relationship with the city controller going through a really tough time. And God gave me grace to end up not just evangelizing him, but becoming a spiritual father to him and discipling him. And uh, his life was transformed so radically that other people would say to him, what's going on? And he'd say, talk to Rev. And ultimately the doors opened office after office, uh, corporately, business-wise, politically, through a son whose life had been transformed. Another candle lit, the flicker of revival grew brighter. At the same time, large megachurches began to emerge in the midst of this dying city. Churches and congregations who grabbed on to that dream of a city revived and began to co-labor. Reverend Darius Pridgen, whose True Bethel Baptist Church serves thousands of Buffalonians, soon became president of the city's common council, placed now in a position of authority to help guide the vision of revival. I think that God put the people in place that he needed and then did things like this. Government does not build skyscrapers. So he brings along other believers like the Pagulas and Cliff Benson, who believe in God, um, and so I think it was on purpose, but I believe uh, that God uh, had, had a plan, like I'd always believe he has a plan, but we needed to embrace that plan. The city did indeed begin to change. The new Buffalo was beginning to rise from the decades of darkness as this united church began to let its light shine like never before, a moment marked by the historic Good Friday celebration at the downtown arena. Good evening, Church of Buffalo. And as the church began to connect with the civic and business leaders of the area, they ushered in the renaissance of the city of Buffalo. Buffalo now again is becoming recognized as a great American city on the rise, a city of progress, a city of hope and opportunity for all residents. The economic development that we're seeing now in Buffalo, this community has not seen in probably over 50 years. Today, Buffalo is home to one of the largest medical campuses in America, providing tens of thousands of high-quality paying jobs and growing each and every year. Terry and Kim Pagula, who bought the Buffalo Bills and Buffalo Sabres, have invested millions more into the city itself, erecting the Harbor Center, rinks, and hotel, where an empty parking lot stood just years earlier. 
the city's waterfront and canalside district have become renowned attractions all over the country, and the youth have begun to return. People like Nick Sinatra, a businessman who returned to his hometown to invest nearly $200 million into various projects throughout the region. Folks are going to be looking back and writing about this time period where Buffalo came back. We rebuilt the city, it came out of the ashes of the Rust Belt, led, led the Rust Belt come back. I'm excited. I'm excited by the unknown. I'm excited about what we could be in 10 years. And the best is still yet to come. Um, 20 years from now, I believe Buffalo is going to look like a totally different place. I believe that we're going to see a renaissance and um, continue to see a renaissance in development and building. And we're going to see other dreamers come forth over the next 20 years. People, people who realize that, wow, I can do this. We're going to see more people who are, you know, are tied to their dream and who are committed to the confidence um, of, of their dream and their dream happening. Today, Buffalo is perhaps one of the most exciting cities in America. A city whose light had been all but snuffed out has been rekindled. Its revival ignited with a dream and a vision, a vision that began as just one light in the darkness, a light that has erupted into a flame, a vision passed on through multiple generations, carrying with it the blood, the sweat, and the tears of the dreamers who stewarded the vision before them. And it began with a prayer. This city prayed that prayer, we said to the dry bones of this city, rise and walk again, and it walked. And today it is more than merely walking, it is running. God told us to say it, and we said it. And because we said it, God did it. So what are you waiting for? It's a new season. It's time to let God rekindle the light of hope and vision inside of you. So prepare yourself, for the time to dream again is now. Our Father, as we now talk about prayer, we believe what we've seen in a city across the river from here is the answer to a prayer, a prayer that hundreds and thousands of people prayed for over 50 years. Lord, the miracle has not been complete yet, but we have the power of prayer. And may we talk about not only the power of a church, but the power of a praying church. In Jesus' name, amen. John Wesley said this, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. I care not a straw, that must have been the vernacular of his day, whether they may be clergy, men, or clergy women, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven and the earth. God does nothing, however, but in answer to prayer. God sovereignly limits himself to doing only those things in which there was a prior prayer agreement between the praying man and woman and their God. Today I want to talk to you about the unlimited power of prayer. The most powerful force in the entire universe is the power of prayer. Here's what the Bible says. If two of you, as touching any one thing, it might be, it shall be done. 
I cannot even imagine the power of prayer. We're talking Buffalo of 19 and a half billion dollars provided by dreamers, but provided by the power of prayer. Say, I'll never forget those words. God said, say to the dry bones of this city, not request me, not beg me, but say to the dry bones of the city, rise and walk again. There are many different kinds of prayer. There's the friendship prayer, walking with God. You can do it in your car. The great men of God, the scripture says, walked with God, talked to God. Jesus did that with his father. Everything that he did here were things he saw the father do in prayer. And the, he said the things he heard the father say when he prayed. It was friendship. There is praise and worship like you did this morning. There's prayer for God's will and purpose to be fulfilled. There's a praying, a burden for souls, an effective ministry, prayer for an anointing in your life. There's a prayer of intercession, the prayer of giving birth. The Bible talks about it as groanings that cannot be uttered. I remember my father who died in 1974 I remember walking into the house on Meriden Street in South Buffalo, and I remember hearing his prayer life. My dad had this booming voice of prayer. His voice didn't boom so much when he preached, but when he prayed, he would shake a room. But today I want to talk to you about not people that pray loud, but I want to talk to you about the most powerful kind of prayer the prayer of faith or confession, the prayer that God told us to pray before Buffalo began to be ignited, dry bones, rise and walk again. I have no idea in those days the power of prayer. We prayed it, we believe it, we spoke it. Hundreds gathered every morning at that little Baptist African-American church in the city, some of the wealthiest people in Buffalo filled those pews to pray for a city. Interesting, when the Bible talks about powerful prayer, it talks about one word, say, say. The commanding prayer of spiritual authority. I believe that God is tired of prayers that have no authority. A voice of a prayer is the voice of faith, the prayer of agreement, to agree with God, to agree with his word, to agree with his body, to agree with his spirit, say something that is in agreement with God, the prayer of speaking what God is saying. You know what God desires to do. It's inside of you. There's something inside of you that you know what the will of God is, and yet you wonder how to get there. Jesus did those things he saw the Father do in prayer. What is praying in the Spirit? Jesus was interesting. He said, pray like this. The disciples said, came one day, Lord, teach us to pray. What was the beginning of that prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say, pray and ask God and beg God for his kingdom to come. 
He said, declare God's kingdom is coming. Pray this way. Kingdom of God, come to the earth as it is in heaven. Say it. I like this idea of the will be prayer. Not requesting God to be something or do something, but literally speaking the future into existence in prayer. A number of years ago, two years before my father died, he was in Mercy Hospital in intensive care, lifeless, unable to speak, unable to see, unable to know we were even there. And I remember walking in that room and hearing the voice of God say to me, Tommy, walk to your father's bed and command him to live. I said, God, I don't even know if I believe he can be healed. He's a very sick man. He's terribly overweight and he's been overweight for some time and he's probably killed himself by eating too much food. But I said, God, I don't know how I can say that. He said, walk to that bed and say to his body and his life, rise and walk again. I walked over to the body and I went to the bed in that, in that ward and I, I did something that I don't know that I really believed it and yet I did believe that something in my spirit was saying, Daddy, I command you to walk again. As I was walking down the hall, because they told me he was going to die any moment, as I was walking down the hall, the nurse suddenly came running after me and said, Pastor Reed, Pastor Reed, you won't believe this, but your dad just woke up. That afternoon, he went home from the hospital. It's time we begin saying something that God is saying. Let me tell you an amazing story that took place in my life a number of years ago. 1959, we went to the Philippines. And you've, some of you have heard this story, but in the context I'm telling you right now, let me tell the story again if you've heard me say it before. We'd gone to the Philippines, and we'd gone with a one-way ticket. I had no way to get home. Felt the Lord was calling us to go. We had a missionary that was going to take us in their home, and we had a large church, Bethel Temple. They were inviting us for meetings. And we thought that some way or other we'd get the miracle. If God was going to work all this miracle and sending us, and we knew God was sending us, working all this miracle for us, he'd surely find a way to meet our needs. So we went with a one-way ticket. We got there, and everything went wrong. The pastor who pastored the church, Bethel Temple, that we were going to be, decided he had to go home to the Philippines. His daughter was getting married. So he announced that he was leaving, which left us with no place to live because we were going to live with them in the parsonage. We had no place to preach. The meetings in this big church were gone, and we were sitting in a hotel, unable to pay the bill at the hotel, pay for the room. We didn't have money to pay for that. And all of a sudden, my dad comes down with an oriental, some kind of a bug bit him or something, and, and he was dying. No money to get home. My dad is dying in that bed, unable to hardly talk to us. We have no money to pay the hotel bill. I would walk in the room, and my dad would look at me, and he'd say, well, Tommy, 
don't pray for my healing. I said, but dad, we've got to have you healed. You, you, you're not going to live if, we, if God doesn't heal you. He said, don't pray for that. He looked at me again and he said, and don't pray for money. I said, but dad, we don't have any money to live. We don't have money to pay the hotel bill. We don't have any money to get home. We've got God, we need money. Let me pray for money. He said, no, don't pray for money. I said, well, how should I pray? He said, here's what one should pray. And he pointed over the phone. He said, I don't want you to pray for anything. I want to tell you what's going to happen. That phone is going to ring. And when it rings, it will be the committee from Springfield, Missouri, and we will be the new pastors of Bethel Temple. And when that happens, our finances will be met, our tickets will be bought, everything will take, come together, and we will have a place to live. I said, what about the hotel bill? He said, I'm not sure about that, but some way or other, that'll happen too. One day I walked in the room and he said, Tommy, today's the day that phone's going to ring. I said, now, let's be honest. I'm 20-some years of age. They will never appoint us to pastor the largest church of their whole denomination, 7,000. They'll never do it. That's their most famous church. They never ask us to do it. There's at least 50 missionaries that are wanting to get there and pastor the church. That will never happen. It's impossible. Plus the fact you've been a businessman. You, you have never pastored a church. They won't ask you and they won't ask me. We are totally unqualified. There's no way that'll happen. He said, Tommy, I'm making a declaration. Say, that phone will ring and you and I will be the new pastors. 30 minutes later, the phone rang. It was the committee of Springfield, Missouri, and they said, we have just appointed you as the new pastors of Bethel Temple. Say, don't pray for healing. And with that, he was instantly healed. At the same time, every single one of our financial, there were millionaires in that church. We flew back and forth across the Pacific first class because somebody paid our ticket. We, we, we spent our vacations at the Polo Club, one of the wealthiest polo clubs in America, because we, the people that owned the largest newspaper in town went to the church. Every one of our financial needs were met. We had tickets. In fact, we flew back forth uh, to the States two times in the next year. Everything that we needed was there. But he said, don't pray for it. Don't ask for it. Don't beg for it. Declare it. Say to the mountain, be removed. Say to the mountain, be removed. Let's talk about that for a few moments, can we? Now, let me tell you a story. One of my favorite preachers growing up was a man by the name of Alfred Coston. He was from Toronto. He and his wife both were married at the church in Toronto, and, and for a while he was pastor of a church called Evangel Temple in the city of Toronto that still exists to this day. And uh, in 19, before he became pastors, a pastor of the, of the church in, in Toronto, uh, he w we were both living in Springfield, Missouri. And the month that we decided to leave our home and go into evangelistic work. I was driving our car down the road, Northwoods Drive up in north of Springfield, Missouri, 
and this big Buick Roadmaster was coming, and, and uh, all of a sudden his horn started blowing, and, and somebody in that car wanted to talk to me, so he pulled over, and I pulled over, and I looked in the, in the driver's seat of that big Buick Roadmaster, brand new, and he said to me, Tommy, come over and talk to me. So I walked over, and I, he rolled the window down, and uh, I said, uh, Brother Costin, it's good to see you. He said, well, I stopped you because I got a word for you. He said, the word I've got for you is that uh, I've just been elected the pastor of First Assembly in Terre Haute, Indiana, the largest Assemblies of God church in, in that state. And uh, I understand that you're going to evangelistic work, and, and the first revival that you're going to conduct is going to be at First Assembly in Terre Haute. You're going to preach for me. So we went to Terre Haute, and I remember uh, walking over and uh, through the church one day, and Brother Costin was sitting in his office. And as he sat in his office, he, uh, he looked out of the office, and he said to me, come on in here. <laughs> I will never forget this, because it was one of the most unusual experiences of my life. As I stood across from his desk, he looked up at me and he said, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 45 and verse 11. Turn, if you have a Bible, turn that book. Just turn to that verse a moment because this was something that got in my spirit that I, I couldn't answer. It's a word written to Cyrus. Isaiah 45, 11. Here's what it says. Thus saith Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, Ask of me the things that are to come concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. Another version said, you command me. I'm a young preacher. He says to me, what do you think that means? I said, uh, Brother, Brother Costin, you can't command God. I, I, I don't know what it means. I have no idea. You're the old preacher. You tell me what it means. I'll never forget him because he was this big, deep voice, and he said to me, pointed his finger at me, and he said, Tommy, that's for you to find out. If I knew, I wouldn't tell you anyway. You discover what it means. I'm going to tell you, I've wrestled with that all my life. What does that mean? Does it mean you command God? I, I've thought about that so many, many times. I remember I was sitting on the platform of Evangel Temple with Brother Costin one day, and uh, uh, he had taken a church that was dying, and it had very few people left, and it just exploded in growth, and, and the auditorium that seated 1,500 in Bond and Dundas in Toronto was just jammed with people. And I was sitting on the platform with him, and he, he poked me in the arm, and he said, Look at that crowd out there. I said, yeah, the place is filled. and You took an empty church. How did you do this? I don't know. He said, just do what God tells me to do. He said, look around the walls. There was the strangest bunch of people around those walls. I think every drunk in downtown Toronto was there. <laughs> the homeless were there. He looked at me and he said, you see all those homeless alcoholics? Tell me they know where God is. Sometimes we've got to follow them.
they know where God is. And he said to me this, Tommy, I want you to know that when you have the power of God in the church, you have people. Not always good people, not always important people, but people come where God is. Wow. I thought a lot about that. And then I noticed a number of things about, as over the years I've thought about this so many times, and I noticed that Jesus didn't tell me to pray for Buffalo. Jesus said, speak to the dry bones. Say to the dry bones. Jesus didn't say just to pray or beg God for something. He said, speak to the mountain. Speak to the mountain. Be removed and it shall be done. He didn't say to the cripple, please God, would you heal this person? He said to the cripple, he said to the cripple, rise and walk again. May today, as we think about prayer, be the end of weak and anemic prayers. It's time for the prayer of agreement with God, the prayer of knowing and speaking or saying his will, and the praying, the time of praying his will upon the earth. My dad said, don't pray for healing. Look at that phone and command it to ring. Don't pray for money. Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He didn't say, beg me for the kingdom to come. He said, say it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in he heaven. I command what's in heaven to come to the earth. Let me give you a few examples of some commanding prayer. I, I, I kind of hesitate because I've told some of these stories, and maybe I've told this one here, but we went to the southern tip of Lausanne to the Bicol region, and there was a woman in that little town where we were that was totally paralyzed. And as I walked to the platform that night, the whole town, the whole village, I think every person in the village, there were several thousand people. I think everybody in town must have come to the meeting. The Lord said to me, don't begin, as you usually do in outdoor meetings, praying for people that, that are partially deaf. What I want you to do is I want you to pray for somebody that's crippled. And I'm going to heal them. I looked all over the audience and I saw this woman laying on a stretcher and I asked her to bring them up, fr or to bring them up front and I, I prayed a prayer and asked God to heal her thinking that's, a, that's all I'd have to do. So I asked God to heal her. Tried to grab her by the hand and she was still paralyzed. And so I looked at my interpreter and I said, uh, I think we've got the wrong sickness. I think I prayed for the wrong thing. If maybe if I, I thought to myself, maybe if I pray for the right thing, God will heal her. After all, he told me he was going to heal her. Maybe if I pray for the right thing, she'll get healed. And I said to my interpreter, find out if that was really arthritis. I don't think it is. It doesn't look like it. Come to find out she had a stroke and she was 100% paralyzed on one side of her body and 50, 60% paralyzed in the rest. So she literally couldn't get off the stretchers, could not walk at all. He said, no, no, 
we've had a problem in the two dialects. The Bicol dialect is different than Tagalog, and I got the wrong word. She doesn't have arthritis. She doesn't have rheumatism. She has uh, total paralysis from a stroke. With that, I literally looked at her, and something came inside of me. Something rose up inside of me. This woman, you said, was going to walk. That's what I saw in the spirit. So I laid my hands on her and said, I command you to walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And all of a sudden, like electricity went through her body, and she got up from that, that stretcher, and she began to run, and she ran faster and faster. She ran around again and again and again. The next morning, we went back to the community. You know, the, the great faith evangelist, I wanted to be sure she was still healed. So we were, went back to see if she's still healed. After you seek that kind of miracle, you still don't believe sometimes. I went back to see, and, and when I walked up to that little Ford and the yellow Anglia that we had in 1959, uh, I, I saw the whole community. She was leading them. About two, 3,000 people she was leading, and she raised her hands and said, See, I'm still healed. But it wasn't a prayer of request. It was a prayer of command. A couple other little examples. We were uh, having a, a large revival uh, somewhere in the early 60s. No, I think maybe the late 50s in the, uh, in the city of Atlantic City, New Jersey, on the boardwalk, uh, Assembly of God Church there on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And uh, uh, while we were there, pastors began to hear about this revival that was just jamming the building. And, and so uh, some pastors from down in middle Pennsylvania came and ask us to come. They said, we hear this great revival is going on. We want you to come to our part of country. We'll get 15, 20 churches together, and we'll have you in a great citywide meeting. Uh, so bring your tent. And my dad said, but we don't have a tent. When my dad said, we don't have a tent, something inside of me rose up and said, we do have a tent. I said, God, but we don't have a tent. God said, you do have a tent. I said, but God, we don't have a tent. The voice inside of me said, but you do have a tent. And I said, we don't have a tent. And God, you know we don't have money to buy one. There's no way we... And that's going to require chairs, and it's going to require a PA system. We can't tell these preachers we're going to have a tent. We don't have a tent. You tell them next summer you're going to have a tent. So I kind of sheepishly said, well, we're going to have one next summer. And my dad looked at me kind of strangely. And I, I thought, God, why did I say that? God said to me, you said that because that's the truth. You do have a tent. You already have it. Claim it. We went from there to Fayetteville, Arkansas for revival meeting. And to help meet expenses, my dad used to sell Bibles. We didn't write books in those days, so he sold Bibles instead of books, and that would help us pay our way. And, and uh, uh, so he was standing at the counter, and this man came up who was dressed in black men. They didn't wear blue jeans. When blue jeans were worn by blue-collar people, and those of us that weren't blue-collar didn't wear blue jeans in those days. My, how things have changed, haven't they? And, and so uh, uh, this man was back there, and he looked like he was a poor man. And he was looking at this Bible as if he wanted it, and my dad said to him, uh, uh, John, uh, would you like that Bible? And John said, oh, I'd love to have that Bible. 
didn't say I couldn't afford it. I'd love to have it. My dad said, it's yours. I want to give it to you, not knowing he was the wealthiest man in town. <laughs> when the revival meeting was over, John Askew walked up to my dad and said, I hear that you need a tent. <laughs> my dad said, yeah, and we've been praying for one. I felt like kicking my dad's in the shin and said, no, we've been believing for one, <laughs> not praying for it. We've been speaking it into existence. And he said, send me the bill. You've got your tent. It was already there in the spirit. Say, say, not just beg, say. Well, I've got some more stories, but not time to tell them all. You ask me, Tommy, do you have great faith? No, I don't have great faith. In the natural, ask my wife. Uh, I'm the worrier. <laughs> I, I don't enjoy worrying. I hate to worry, but it's just part of my nature. I'm a worrier. It takes discipline for me to believe. But I do have inside of me boundless faith. Whoever says to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, what he says will come to pass. I say it again, God is tired of weak, anemic prayers from people who don't believe they're going to be answered. Listen to Jesus. Here's some of the things he prayed. He never once begged God. The boy with unclean spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him. Matthew 8, the healing of the leper. He simply says to the leper, be clean. In Matthew 9, the story of the paralytic. He says, pick up your bed and go to your house. Matthew 17, the boy with the demon. Jesus simply rebuked the demon and the demon left. The raising of the widow's son. He said, young man gave a, I say to you, arise. The sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, your faith has made you whole. This prayer is a command, has made you whole. The daughter of Jairus, little girl, arise. The woman of the Sabbath, you are loose from your infirmity. Lazarus, who was dead in his tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And I love this when he said to the fig tree, <laughs> what a prayer of command, the fig tree. No one will ever eat from you again. Now Jesus was not new at this. Moses put his rod in the Red Sea as a command for it to stay, to be split. Moses, the same man, commands water from the rock. Joshua shouts at the walls of Jericho. The disciples, after Jesus rose from the dead and left them, commanded the man at the gate of the temple, to walk. And I love this. Elijah commands fire to come down from heaven. I want you to walk out of this building this morning with a new kind of prayer inside of you, a new kind of faith. I love 
the story of the centurion. This is an interesting one. The centurion looks at Jesus and said, now, because I'm military, I understand you. I have a servant that needs to be healed, absolutely is desperate for healing, but you don't even have to come to my house because I understand authority. I understand because I'm a centurion and because I wear the uniform of Rome and because I obey Caesar, that everyone under me has to obey me because they are obeying Caesar. So I say to this man, go and he goes, and this man, come and he comes, this man, do, do and he does. Everybody around me has to obey me because I obey Caesar. You understand that because you're under God. And because you're under God, you have God's authority. That's what the centurion actually said in lesser words than this. All you have to do is speak. Speak. Because when you speak, God speaks. Hear me. When you speak, God speaks. So speak it, sir, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus turned around, and this is what he said. This is the greatest faith I have seen in Israel the faith of understanding, the commanding ability of prayer when you're under God. What does that mean to us? How do I do that? And, and, and I thought in closing I'd like to be a little practical this morning. Uh, we're working on one further video and I'm, uh, we're just going through the process of the creation. And it's going be, to begin uh, in kind of darkness, but just with a little candle of light within a person, all the world around them dark, but the candle of light inside of them being greater than the darkness around them. And as you see the scripture, all of a sudden this light ignites inside of them and dissipates all the darkness around them. That's the power of prayer. The power of prayer is that Jesus said, everything the Father is, I am. Everything the Father has, I have. Everything the Father does, I do. Everything the Father says, I say. In other words, everything the Father is, is inside of me. That's what Colossians says. And everything I am, is in you. Practical ways. What about that prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Why don't we pray that? But it's not just, God, please let your kingdom come. It's saying, thy kingdom come. God, I command your kingdom come to my earth. I wait for the promise of the Father. I wait for a dimension of the Holy Spirit to be outpoured. John the Revelator said it like this. He said, pray this, come, Lord Jesus, come. Not please come. Not come if you want to. Not come if I say the words right, just come. And when you say come, I'll come. Holy Spirit, when you say come, I'll come. There is a commanding prayer that even God himself hears. To the paralytic, I command you to walk. 
to eyes that are blind, I command you to function. To ears that are deaf, I command you to open. I love this one. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says he, some of you people need some money. Listen to this one. He commands the blessing. He commands the blessing. He, God the Father, who is in Christ, and Christ who is in us, God the Father commands the blessing, which means Jesus commands the blessing, and if he's in you, you command the blessing. Command, I command the blessing is part of the covenant. Those that are against me, they can be commanded by the power of Christ. I have uh, something that I do, and I've done for years, and you know I'm 84, be 85 in just a few months. And I am an extremely well person. Most of you know that. For 85, I do pretty good. But I'll tell you what I do. When I get up in the morning, I command this body. If something in this body, and you get older, sometimes it doesn't function exactly like it used to. I look at my body and I command it. I command it. Hear me. Say to the dry bones of this city, say to the mountain, be removed. If I'm a friend of God, why should I lower him to the irresponsible father who needs to be begged. He is not an irresponsible father. He is not a father who doesn't want to give good gifts to his children. He is a father who loves. I don't go into the bank if I've got $5,000 in a bank account and say, will you please give me a little bit of my $5,000? <laughs> My name, my social security number, my account number, everything that I have demands that they have to give it to me when I ask for it. And what we have in Christ demands, command ye me, demands, because we're people of the covenant, that we have a right to answered prayer. We have a right to answered prayer. What if we approach God like that? Now, I warn you that it's just not a matter of legally taking that. That's part of it. But it's legally knowing the Father in an intimate way. I learned something about my dad that whatever I wanted, he wanted to give me. I didn't even have to ask for it. He knew what I wanted. I remember one day he, he went in, and I've always loved boats. My, my uncle used to manufacture boats. Was a, uh, there were more boats made by the Reed family on Lake Erie one time than any other manufacturer. We had a, a really good boat manufacturing company owned by my father's brother. And so I grew up watching boats being made. I grew up with, with this, this whole personality that loved boating. My dad knew I wanted a boat. Didn't have the money to buy it, but he used to go to 
go to sales and he went to the uh, to the Frisco Railroad to one of the sales and somebody had shipped in a brand new fiberglass boat when the fiberglass boats were brand new and had done some damage to it and he bought that boat and brought it home and he said, Tommy, I knew you wanted this. I said, Dad, but I never asked for it. He said, well, it's got a scra couple of scrapes in it, but we can fix that. Go to my, we'll go down and buy a motor and it's, it's yours. I didn't even ask. Didn't even ask. Our Father is one who understands his people. If he is in Christ and Christ is in me, there's a power in prayer that none of us can possibly recognize or realize. It goes beyond our ability to comprehend or understand. Don't ever be a pauper and beg. God doesn't need a begging person. God is looking for a friend who understands their covenant. Hear it again. God understands it. God is looking for a friend who understands their covenant. I don't go into the bank. I simply take my checkbook out and write a check. And if I've got the money, they've got the money to give me. You and I have got a checkbook. It's called prayer. And there is a legal contract between you and your God that goes beyond anything you can possibly understand. And when you write that check, it is the guarantee of answered prayer. Now you can argue with me. You can come back and say, well, I tried this, I tried that, I tried something else and it doesn't work for me. What if you believed it would? What if you let the word of God and your faith be the criteria and not your experience? We let our experience, our disappointments rule our lives instead of our faith. Why don't you speak to the city of Fort Erie, rise and walk again? Why don't you speak to a broken government, rise and walk again? Why don't you speak to a broken economy, rise and walk again? Why don't you speak to a business that's failing, rise and walk again? Do you have any doubt the word of God is true. We shouldn't. Let me go back to the words of John Wesley. Maybe his words mean even more now. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or clergywomen. Those men and women alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on the earth. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Prayer is the most powerful. It is stronger than an atomic bomb. It is the very creation power.
power of the universe, God spoke the constellations into existence. And the same God whose voice spoke them lives in you. You have power in prayer that goes beyond anything you can possibly imagine. Let's pray. Our Father, I cannot even imagine the power that's in this room this morning. I'm sure that when the scientists first looked at the atom and understood at least a little bit of its potential, none, no one could possibly imagine its full potential. And there's not a person in this room that can even imagine the creative power of prayer. Help us to walk out of this room with at least some understanding of the power that exists inside of us. In Jesus' name.